Welcome to the Teachers Podcast in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. Hi everyone, welcome to Series 2, Episode 7 of the Teachers Podcast. So in this episode, I interviewed parenting expert Sue Atkins. She was a deputy head and teacher for 23 years before she transitioned into all things parenting. So as teachers, what can we actually learn from her? Well, Sue mentions a number of things that could be helpful to you in the classroom. The key message that I took away was that it's important to work with the whole family rather than just a child when it comes to building resilience, especially when preparing them for transition into secondary school. If you haven't done so yet, subscribe or follow the Teachers Podcast on your preferred listening platform so you can keep up to date with new episode releases. And I'm also on Twitter as at Claire underscore Riley underscore TP. So I look forward to connecting with you on there. Let's get to my chat with Sue. So Sue, thank you so much for joining me on the Teachers Podcast today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So, do you want to give everyone a backstory? I feel like this is going to go on for quite a while because you have done so much um, and it's all really interesting. So, fire away. Oh, my goodness. Where would you like me to start? So, um, people who follow me and know me know that I was a deputy head and class teacher for over sort of 23 years. Um, my father died, followed very quickly by my mother within the same year, all around my birthday. So I remember walking my dogs across the fields one day thinking, what did my parents give me? What did they teach me? Well, they gave me the gift of self-esteem. So I wrote my first book um, around self-esteem for children. And I think it underpins all the work that I I have done as a teacher, as a class teacher of children from four to 13 uh, and now beyond, because I retrained after my father passed away and my mother passed away, I thought, right, OK, what's the next part of my life going to be? I think when you lose parents, you start to reevaluate who you are and what you want to achieve in the world. So um, ever since I was a little girl, when I was five, I wanted to be a teacher or a journalist or a broadcaster or something like that. So, of course, life is very strange, uh, having been a teacher for all those number of years uh, and worked with the children. Uh, then I started to uh, I was invited uh, to write my first book by Wiley and Son, Raising Happy Children for Dummies, one in the very famous Black and Yellow series. Um, that changed my life, I suppose, really, because I was invited then onto BBC Radio, and that just kept growing and growing and answering questions all around that. But then that led to ITV this morning, being on their programme as their parenting expert, doing live phone-ins, uh, still doing that sort of thing now. Um, and... It just kind of grew. And then I was invited again in 2012, this time by um, Random House Penguin to write Parenting Made Easy, How to Raise Happy Children. I wrote that. And again, that opens up all sorts of doors. And my passion is to support, nurture and help parents raise happy, confident, resilient kids. You know, free from finger pointing and judgment and tut-tutting. It's hard enough as it is raising kids. Um, I try and do it with a smile, with a friendly bit of advice, but I do have unusual tips and techniques because I'm trained by Paul McKenna. I'm an NLP master and practitioner and trainer in NLP. Um, And I study engineering psychology. So there's all sorts of robust stuff behind what I do. 
but I try and make it simple and make it, uh, you know, people can relate to me because obviously I've raised two children, whereas a lot of parenting people in the media haven't got kids. So I think I know what it's like to wake up in the middle of the night with a screaming kid who's got an earache or actually watch yeah. an 18 year old turn right out of the drive on her first drive after passing her test. And you think, I hope she gets to her friends out safely. So yeah, so that's generally it. I now write, um, broadcast, I'm Disney's Facebook um, parenting expert for their lives. I'm Ladybird Books parenting expert. I'm in all sorts of radio and TV. I'm published in Parents World India as the us the counsellor which has got two million um, readers every issue so all sorts of stuff around raising happy kids I've got a parenting club now because I say quite a lot of the things over and over again so I've got a club where I've got over 600 quick win video tips I've got you know webinars I've got podcasts with experts around the world as well as my free podcast I've been doing for the last three years where I answer all sorts of questions and talk about all sorts of tips around raising babies toddlers teenagers and even older kids so yeah that's kind of me in a nutshell I suppose okay thank you I see there's just so much to talk about and um, so you mentioned that you were a teacher and a deputy head um, and you know that took up 23 years so what did you learn in that time that then, then you've translated into your parenting advice well, it wasn't such a big step away from working with children to now working with parents with their children. Um, I'm passionate, as I said, about self-esteem. I was head of PSHE in my school, uh, went off and retrained with Jenny Molesley around circle time. And there's an awful lot of crossover between raising happy, confident kids through my experience of working with children and then working with their parents. So, yeah, the, you know, that kind of crossover is something that drives me now because I had a happy childhood and I think it's very important to be able to give kids that stability and that safety and of course I'm you know I'm very aware that we're living in very different times I'm very mindful of the language I use obviously as an MMP master about the semantics of language but yes I'm not going to say it's unprecedented and it's challenging I'm going to say that it's different and I'm very keen on helping parents now with their mental health and well-being and helping children with their well-being because I think it's incredibly important and you know as a former teacher and deputy head I've got many many friends who are still teachers and I just watch them in awe as they are exhausted yeah. Yeah. they are working every hour God sends they get a bit of a rough deal I think in the media I follow a lot of people yeah. on Twitter because obviously I have two hats an educational interest and a parenting interest and, you know, I just feel that teachers are absolutely outstanding and need a real pat on the back and a medal, to yeah. be quite honest. They're exhausted and they're doing their very, very best. So I talk to parents when I'm working with them on my one-to-ones or whatever I'm doing, coaching with parents, is to be patient and respectful and kind to each other. We're all doing our best. Mm. OK, so we've talked a lot about parenting. What, what can a teacher learn then from, from, what, from you? Oh, gosh. Well, I've got a teaching bouncing back toolkit, actually, that I wrote uh, all around time management, balance, mental health, well-being, managing your time. I was obviously mentoring younger teachers when I was teaching. So there's a whole wealth of sort of experience over the years to support teachers. And also I'm a specialist in parental engagement. And I gave a talk at the NEC Birmingham uh, for Parent Mail all around the idea and tips to make sure that parents and schools and teachers all work together for the common good of, of you know, looking after kids and raising attainment and giving them the best education that we all can. 
if you had to give us the the one number one thing from from that talk how how can we engage parents okay i think the important thing is about parental engagement and it's around having the intention to try and reach not only the parents that value education but those that are slightly disaffected who've had bad experiences themselves at school so they don't like coming in to parents meetings they don't sometimes join in in quizzes or the usual stuff that schools do to engage parents and it's about reaching out to parents um, certainly it's it's more difficult in the secondary in some ways because you're not standing at the school gate and certainly none of us are doing that particularly now hanging around and chatting um, but that was always a good way in the olden times and the olden days is that in the mornings I was there in the morning to chat and know all about the kids and what was happening in their lives with their parents and you know I used to get on really well with all the parents I taught over the years and then be there at the afternoon when they were going back home you know to sort of release them and say oh he did really well about this so you just build rapport with people and that's really important so having that intention and certainly breaking down barriers and building bridges not walls between parents and, and children so that we all nurture them and give them the best start we can in life yeah so in the information that you sent through uh, something that you mentioned were the nine c's of resilience so that triggered my interest so what are the nine c's of resilience well without being a great big list i have a free ebook that you can get on my website you just click it uh, i wrote it about returning to school actually but it's not just about returning to school when the kids were going back it covers things like feeling capable and competent confidence connection is very important for children feel that they connect to you to their family to their school to their community I talk about counting so a child feels that they are important that they are significant I talk about courage courage to fail courage to make mistakes courage to ask courage to try new things um, I talk about coping and I talk about giving kids that feeling of control and empowerment because often we rob children of the opportunities to feel capable and competent and that's when some of the problems can kick in. So yes, that, the key C's of resilience are um, very important really. So I go into detail about that. It's a fun, easy thing to read, uh, but it will give you pause to ponder and, and, and think, yes, how could I develop some of these key C's in the children I teach? or if you're a parent in the parenting world around supporting children to feel independent and autonomous. And do you think it's important that we do that at any age and not just um, the transition to secondary? Oh, absolutely. It starts right at the beginning. Uh, habits start and, and an attitude and a mindset starts from when they're little. So from, you know, babies right up to you know teenagers, but certainly in the toddler years, uh, empower them to feel capable and competent don't rob them of the opportunity to struggle for a few minutes doing up their zip or pulling on their wellies that mindset shows them that you have a vote of confidence in them and it's the same in school don't always rush to rescue a child help them sometimes stick with something where I talk about resilience and tenacity and sticking with and we need to develop those skills we're not all born with them so of course we can help children by teaching them and, and helping them struggle a little bit. Don't leave them there struggling for ages because that demoralises them. But certainly allow them to feel capable and confident. That builds their self-confidence and builds their self-esteem. And I, I've got a, a book out at the moment for kids called The Can Do Kids Journal, Discover Your Confidence Superpower, which is bursting with all my text, uh, you know, techniques, tips and strategies for having a go. 
Mm. I think, um, yeah, it is really important to um, give them that chance to, to know that they can do it for themselves. Um, mm. And at the end of the day, you know, we want to build adults as a society, don't we, who can do things for themselves, who can contribute rather than expect everything given to them on a plate. Yes, it's about being active and not passive and not just sitting there thinking the world owes me. But it's again, it's an attitude and it comes from home. It starts at home and it, it grows and it goes into the school life. So home and school working together is a really, really great combination. And um, tell me about your primary to secondary programme. Yes, well, um, I'm very interested in prevention um, around mental health issues at 14 and 15, self-harm, gangs, kids going off the rails, kids not coping, more so than ever now. And I have a friend and a colleague who's written lots of books around uh, children, and she was a former deputy head and worked in an exclusion school and, and you know, has a wealth of experience too. And we were talking about working together and about challenges of change. And we, we came up, we thought, well, when, where is a very, very important uh, part of change that needs support, perhaps as consistent, that people can go to and see as the gold standard and trust the information? And we looked at the primary to secondary transition because it's very ad hoc in school. Some schools do it absolutely fantastically and some schools sort of don't. And some boroughs do it well. I know Sandwell Borough Council does it very well with Liz Stevenson. And, you know, they actually have a transition manager for that borough. But that's really, really unusual. So between us, we've written a journal for the journey. We have all sorts of research that we've backed up. We've interviewed guests. In fact, I'm interviewing Dr. Gare Grouse on Friday for our podcast. Um, he's um, the educational guy for Kidzania, but he started the Children's University and all sorts of things. So we want to pick up as many um, aspects of supporting teachers, schools, children and parents on that transition journey. So we've recorded lots of videos. We've got lots of quick tips. We've got lots of free resources. We've got lots of experts talking to us so that we can make sure that all children have a very positive, confident start to their secondary school. Mm. So what do you feel the main changes are then that you see in attitude or psychology or confidence as children move from the top of one school to another school? Well, it's often that um, I remember it myself when I was teaching or even my daughter, you know, in year six, they are at the top of the school. They've been there a long time. Everybody knows them from the caretaker to the cooks. And they are well supported because they are big fish in a small pond. And then they transition across into secondary school where they are, you know, very small fish in a massive pond with lots of other, you know, very tall people that are almost like adults too, walking around from sixth form uh, and they can get lost. And I remember myself, my son, um, friend who had been head boy in his school when he was at school and he transitioned over at 11 to his secondary school and he struggled. I mean, I remember talking to his mum that, you know, he was this really confident, self-assured young man. He was lovely and he couldn't find a decent, you know, he couldn't make that connection. He couldn't get used to the changes, couldn't get used to carrying independent stuff. He couldn't make good friends for some reason because he lost his footing. And when he lost his footing, he couldn't kind of recover. So that always sort of sat in my mind as a surprise that there was this very self-confident young man in his primary school who struggled to belong, to connect, to feel he, he was part of the, the new school for a little while. 
So that triggered something in me too, to make sure that all children should just be nurtured as, as good practice into, I'm very keen on seeing primary and secondary schools talking a bit more. This is not just about passing notes across. This is about making sure that the transition, the children have done such great work, say in year six, and that that continues. It's not that attitude of, oh, we better go back to the beginning now they're in year seven. What did they, you know, they've forgotten everything. It's not really that. It's about looking at their strengths. And, you know, I've worked on something that is very similar to the one page profile where I look at uh, a child does a, a poster with me around I am special because. And we look at what they themselves regard as what they're good at, what their strengths are. We look at what other people say about them. You know, they go off to grandma and granddad and aunts and uncles and teachers and say, what do you love, respect and admire about me? Because you get another aspect of that person and their strengths. And then we look at what's working at home and what's not working at home. And we look at what's working at school and what's not working at school. So we put children at the centre of the practice to encourage them dialogue and support if they need it. Now, not every child struggles. OK. Um, so obviously you've mentioned one there. I just wondered if there are any more. Are there any common challenges that children face or even rare challenges? Well, the interesting thing is um, parents and teachers think they're worried about certain things, but the STARS report and other reports have shown that sometimes it's actually worth listening to what the children themselves say, and each child may be slightly different, what their anxiety or worries are. So I think, you know, we've got two ears and one mouth for a reason, really. We mustn't presume, and those children that appear rather confident and sort of brash and okay are often the children that may be putting on a front so this is not looking for trouble and making sort of um, everybody anxious this is about looking at ways to support long-term uh, good practice and again it doesn't start in year six as you know raising a, a confident resilient child starts way back uh, you know for parenting point of view right from the beginning but also it's about parents recognizing actually around about year five even how can I encourage my child to become more independent because that's you know in primary school people go oh you've dropped your jumper here it is oh you know you need to put your name in it uh, but people run around after you to look after you which is really lovely and nurturing but we also need to empower young people and kids with more independence earlier on so it's not just something that's done to them you know from March uh, in that year six, getting them ready for secondary school, because of course, as we have seen with lockdown, everything changed anyway then. And it's not just something that you do in the summer term to get your year six ready for their transition. This is something that we all should be doing with that view in mind of how to make sure that that transition is as smooth as possible. So how can then a year six teacher prepare children for transition, especially now? So you know, we're, we're recording this in October um, and there'll be year six teachers there thinking, oh my word, I've got to go through the whole year five curriculum and the year six curriculum and prepare them for this, this transition. Um, what, you know, what can they do? Well, the, we've got all sorts of uh, checklists and guides and letters and thoughts and, and blogs and podcasts to help take that burden away because teachers are really focused on the curriculum with getting them ready to transition in terms of their, their work. 
but we're looking at also, you know, that whole thing collaboratively coming together to support the emotional well-being of the child and making it easy for the teacher to do that so that they don't suddenly feel, gosh, how are we going to cope with all of this and I'm overwhelmed too, and we've got to do it on Zoom. So there are all sorts of schools doing very innovative things. I know they're taking people around a Zoom, so it's a bit like when you go on a Zoopla and you look at a flat, you can see it in 3D and walk around and have a look at a flat. So they do the same sort of thing in schools. Now, that's not necessarily the same, but it's all about coming together trying to get to know each other so that when you do go back to school or you start rather in that new school, um, you have a friendship or you have some idea who they are. And some schools are doing it very well. And some schools, of course, are, are sort of still not sure how to do it online as well as offline. What kind of things have you got on your checklist? We've got things around um, supporting families making sure that you listen to the children make sure you're asking questions for the parents making sure that there are letters that go home to help them with the choices of schools because sometimes you know um just because your brother goes there or your sister goes to that school doesn't always mean it's the same uh, for you you have different personality different character and so it's getting parents and teachers to be working together it's usually the school does stuff but our approach is trying to get the family involved with the teachers as well so that everyone is making kind of good decisions together as a family, because it is a transition for the, for the parents as well. Their child is growing up. You don't sort of hang around at the playground anymore and chat to people. Everything becomes a little more aloof and a little more distant. So it's about supporting everybody through that. And looking at the lines of communication, we, we have a lot of um, programmes on our, our system there around effective communication and small ways to make big differences that will make sure that parents teachers and kids are connected and communicating effectively so at what point in the year you know should should teachers be thinking about transition all the way through really it's not something as i said that's done in the summer term it's done all the well, it's not done is it it's it's the approach and the mindset to supporting children through a big change it's a bit like saying oh I'm going to go and live in Australia now you'd have to kind of get yourself ready for that so I think it's just knowing that it's in the background there that you are preparing the children all the time it's a bit like as a parent you're preparing them to fly the nest right from the word go even from when you play peekaboo with them and you you know you're teaching them that you disappear or you come back again it's all about supporting children through challenges and changes and as they grow mature and change your flexibility as a teacher or as a parent has to adapt too. Mm. So if you could give three top tips then that would help teachers, you know, build and maintain resilience, especially now um, because things are changing all the time, what would they be? I suppose I would say to help a young person feel connected, that they, they belong, that they're important, they count, they're significant. You see them you hear them, you're listening to them. You're not coming at it sort of just with your eyes closed and your ears shut, thinking you know better. And I think it's about giving kids courage in, um, you know, in challenging times. So we model it by being courageous, brave, and showing how we um, bend, not break through difficult times. Okay then, if you could wave a magic wand, how would you solve the life-work balance problem? How would I solve the work-life balance problem? Yeah, the life-work balance problem for teachers. How would you solve it yeah. with magic? 
Well, with magic, it's looking at where your triggers are. Um, as I said before to you, I remember saying it's a bit like Billy Smart Circus, which dates me, where this, in the circus, the clown was trying to spin all the plates and they were all going round and he was running from one to the other. I think you have to make peace with the fact that you never get it all right. You never juggle it so that everything is in balance all the time. Sometimes it's okay for your work to take precedent over perhaps your partner's work or what's going on at home a little bit because you've got to find that balance. But you know, it's working as a team as well. Um, and work-life balance is something where you, you don't just let time dominate you. you. We all have 24 hours in a day, but it's what you do with them that's important. And sitting down and not being a victim about that and saying, right, well, how do I manage my time? On my teacher's toolkit, MP3, I talk a lot about time management and, and weighing up the balance of how you sort of look at time. Time is a very important thing. We've all got a certain amount of it, and it's about where you choose to put it. And it changes all the time. So that's why I think sitting down on a Sunday evening sometimes and looking at what your week ahead may look like and carving out me time for yourself, for your own well-being. That could be a scented candle and bath or whatever it could be, you know, up the gym or go for a run or meet a friend. You have to keep your own life going and your own well-being. And that's very important as a teacher. And we are, as, as, as a professional, as when I was teaching, it, we are selfless usually, and we don't put ourselves very high on the list. We think of everybody else, and it's the same principle with parents. But then you run on empty, and then you get poorly, and then you get burnout, and then you get disillusioned, and then you leave or want to leave the profession. It is a noble profession. It is a, it's such an important part of a child's life, the education and the relationships. It's all about relationships. The study will come, you know, people keep saying, oh, they've got to catch up. Well, what are they catching up from? Build the relationship, support the children, and the learning will come from that. When I was deputy head of Hawthorns in Bletchingley, I always said we did a, a marketing thing and we came up with a happy child learns. And, of course, that is absolutely true. So nurture yourself as a teacher. Look after your own well-being. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think, you know, I I kind of came to this myself um, a, a few weeks ago because I think we go through cycles and we forget, don't we? We, we think what we need to be selfless all the time, but when we're not giving ourselves any time, we just, we just become so fragile and we're not able to, to give. Um, one of my mentors says, um, it, a year in advance, plan out all the... Um, non-negotiable times and um, like make sure you've got date night in uh, make sure you've got a family dinner in and that doesn't move yeah. and you will make the other things fit in I think sometimes as teachers we we put that last we put all the work in and then we're like oh there's no time for the other things and um you know that um it's kind of like a sort of a I can't think of the word but a demonstration where you put the big rocks in first because yeah. Yeah, they're the important things and they won't fit in if you fill it up with sand first yeah. and then I suppose the, the working on an evening and the marking the books that's all the sand but we need to make sure that we put the, the rocks in first which is you know things like the family dinners and the things we want to do for ourselves yeah and um, yes I think so because it's not selfish it's self-care yeah and sometimes we don't really know what that means either sometimes 
even the the, the word self-care I think does that mean doing my nails <laughs> you know it, it's kind of being really clear in our minds what that actually means and that it's okay to to do those things and need those things and sometimes it might be so something that um has kind of come to, to me recently so I've started working with a coach and um I've managed to get myself half an hour longer in a morning to work before the children go to school. And it's only half an hour longer, but it, it, it means so much and it makes me so much more productive and it makes me so much happier. Um, and so sometimes it's, it is about work, but it's about when you do it or when you know, Absolutely. work in the morning, you might work really fast. In comparison to working at no, I remember I had a client and we worked on that. She had three children and she was quite a high flying teacher. And what we did is she got up half an hour earlier. She had uh, she laid out her clothes the night before, which made her feel good because she knew what she was going to wear. She went down for her cup of coffee first thing in the morning, so she was in a good place to start. And then that started the whole caboodle of getting the kids ready for school and chasing where their shoes are and have you got your homework bag? So very small things and people don't understand obviously I'm a parent coach and I work with parents and teachers around coaching them and people don't really realize the importance of you carve out special places um, like that and and it doesn't have to be you know when you're spending time with your children at a certain time in the day in the evening it can be like some parents get up and have breakfast with their kids and have a laugh and play with them and have a chat then used to go off to work so it's about being flexible about when you come together to do these things and looking at different ways to do things and that's what a coach can offer you that sounding board mm. and I think as well um something that I, I feel quite strongly about is that it doesn't have to be all you have to do is try it out as well. Um, you know, so you can think, oh, well, I don't, I don't want to get up early or whatever. But just, you know, give it a go. And, and children change so quickly. I mean, the ages of my children, two and four, I feel like for the last four years, it's just been a constant change. And I know maybe in two years, it will feel slower <laughs> um, in terms of that change because it won't be nursery, not nursery school and all these things. But we have to kind of adapt to that as well. And it's okay to, to, to change it. Just if you're changing it every few months, it doesn't mean that it didn't work. It just means that you're adapting to a new situation and trying out something new based on what you've learned about yourself, what your situation is now, what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, flexible on the journey. Yeah, being flexible because children require us to be that. And um, where do you think education is going to go in the next 10 years? I think it's going uh, towards a blended now between online and offline learning. Uh, certainly in, in the current circumstances, we've seen some magnificent um, learning online. Some people are doing it like everything really well. Some people were struggling. But I think now it will become even with university students, you can see with all the challenges there. Um, you know, online takes a lot of work, too, and to do it well takes a lot of energy and uh, people are working very hard at getting that right some people have seen that coming for a number of years I don't think one or the other I think a blend of both could work very very well and then you know young people can be flexible about when they do their work themselves they have to be self-motivated of course some kids but that will then generate a whole generation of young people who will work around their own pace as well perhaps with support with people uh, online so yeah I think it's a it's a quite an exciting and interesting period and education I hope may change away from this data obsessed uh you know um, all the lists that we were always worried about Ofsted coming to catch us out rather than support us 
and this idea that it's about lifelong learning, not just about passing exams. And I do feel sorry in my podcast this week, I talk about the mental health of students and young people. I'll be saving that up for them to have a whole generation who will battle their mental health because they had a terrible summer with the algorithm business and not knowing and the uncertainty about their exams would have been better to know if they were going to be judged by the teacher. It's about also raising the profile of teaching career and profession to trust the teachers. They work incredibly hard. They're very well trained. And it's about looking at making sure that, you know, perhaps education changes a little bit, maybe now and adapts to the 21st century. But that's got to be from the government. But of course, don't hold your breath. (laughs) yes oh dear um all it takes is a changing government and we'll all be um just chasing our tails again even more um it's just the way it is isn't it it's very uh politically led um who was your favorite teacher at school and why mrs bulger um she called me the smiler which stuck with me because I do smile quite readily and easily. But we started to study uh, English. I started studying English. I studied um, for my A-levels uh, Shakespeare. And I remember thinking, oh, God, I'm going to find this so hard. This could be so difficult. And I absolutely loved it. But also she encouraged me to write. She believed in me. And then there was another teacher called Mrs. Uh, McCrory who told my mum that I had a, a bit of a gift for writing. And there I am now, um, many, many books in. Uh, and write copiously so those two teachers really did encourage me nurture me and we all have those teachers we can all name a teacher that believed in us and inspired us or encouraged us even you know Ian Wright talks a great deal about the teacher when he was standing outside he'd been removed from the classroom again the footballer and this you know the teacher that came along and, and believed in supported him and changed his life around and I hope I was one of those inspiring teachers too to be honest I loved teaching I really, you know, on a wet Wednesday in November, I just turn up and do it for nothing because I loved it. So I hope I inspired a few kids along the way in my 23 years. Well, you never know. Maybe uh, maybe in the next few years, I'll have somebody here saying, yeah, Mrs. Atkins. Yeah, Mrs. Atkins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a teacher and I wanted to be uh, then a journalist. I remember pondering all of that. So it's funny how when you set goals, and you have dreams and they become goals with a date, you can achieve all sorts of things. So yeah, I, I've had a very extraordinary career, been invited to Downing Street, spoken at the House of Commons, done all sorts of things. So yeah, it's interesting. If you follow your passion, believe in yourself and keep doing small things regularly every day, it's amazing where you can turn out and where you can go. And you just, you know, you just take your life into a different direction. We've got to adapt, we've got to be flexible, but we've got to realise what's important to us and then take off from there. And then I always say baby steps towards the bigger goals. Yeah, yeah. Live for your values and um, consistently do, you know, do something rather than, than dreaming that one day that will happen. It's yeah. like wishing you'll win the lottery, isn't it? Yes. Um, yeah, waste of time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sue. It's been lovely to chat to you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening. It's important for children to be independent and feel independent too. With the ways that we are having to run our classrooms at the moment, it makes it difficult to help children foster that independence when we constantly have to remind them to wash their hands and we just can't leave it to chance. The challenge for us then 
is to find ways that we can help children to feel independent and take responsibility for themselves. I hope you are now saying out loud to yourself, challenge accepted. You'll find everything that Sue and I talked about in the show notes. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Claire underscore Riley underscore TP, on Instagram, The Teacher's Podcast, on Facebook, The Teacher's Podcast, or also on Facebook, join me in The Teacher's Podcast community. I also really appreciate reviews of the podcast. See you next week. Thank you for listening. The Teacher's Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets, a provider of high quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.